On today's episode, we are going to talk about singleness, dating, purity culture, and also happy Black History Month, everyone. So I just want to give a shout out to some of my favorite single women. Um, Oprah, I love you. You inspire me. And um, I just love what you do. Tracy Ellis Ross, I love your vivaciousness and just just what you embody. Like, I love how she's so free. She loves herself. She loves who she is. And she's just so stinking funny. So um, those are just a few people. And there's a whole lot more, but those are a few. Yeah. And I'm going to shout out Ava DuVernay, um, who is just a genius director, so creative. And particularly, I love about Ava how she's using her platform and privilege to create space for other Black women to tell their stories. And then I'm going to do an OG historical figure. Her name is Nanny Helen Burroughs. If you don't know about her, you guys should definitely look her up. Um, She was a contemporary of Booker T. Washington. She started a school in Washington, D.C. that still exists to this day to educate young black women um, so that they could become teachers and nurses and doctors um, and that such at a time when there was not a lot of schooling options for young black women. So shout out to Nanny Helen Burroughs and to Ava Derveny. Okay, Faith, let's get into it. So today we're going to talk about um, our singleness and dating and um, purity culture. So I thought I would just start us off with a few statistics so that you guys can kind of join in on this conversation with us and kind of know where we're coming from um, in case you weren't aware of there's a difference um, between life as a black single woman, black Christian single woman. Let me add Christian in there because that adds a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> it narrows it down. So, um, so here's just some statistics. In According to Christianity Today, in 1972, nearly three quarters of all Christians were married. However, that number has declined 20 percentage points in the past four decades. So now just a slim majority of Christians are married, about 52%. When it comes to black women, fewer than two-thirds of black women have been have reported being married at least once by the age of 40, according to Census Bureau data. Um, there are some structural reasons for that. There's about one ever, out of every 10 black men in their 30s is in prison. So that narrows the dating um, pool. And then as more and more black women get higher and higher levels of education, their options can be reduced. So you're either marrying down, quote unquote, marrying down. So someone who maybe doesn't have the same levels of education as you do, or you're quote unquote marrying out, meaning you're marrying interracially outside of your race. Um Interestingly, when I was looking into this, black men are very open to marrying outside their race. More than one in five black men marry outside their race, but fewer than one in 10 black women intermarries. Um, And then to just kind of talk about um, why that is. Um, I don't know about you, Faith, but I do think that black women have like an increased sense of like loyalty to black men that is oftentimes not reciprocated. So it feels kind of like taboo to date outside of your race. Yes. And then I think the other thing that is very common is that black women are considered often the least desirable for marriage partners. Um, I know usually when you see studies and conversations about that, it's usually black women and Asian men um, are considered the least desirable for marriage partners, according to studies. Um, and then I think this is especially hard. I think it's important to talk about how being a Christian adds another layer layer um, about black women being kind of sort of undesirable, um, sort of the things like, oh, you're so feisty and fiery um, because yeah. a lot of, and oh, she, my favorite is she's not very submissive, which is like coded language because m- among Christian communities, the ideal wife, it, it's tied to the 
this sort of 1950s white middle class social norms. And so obviously that disadvantages black women. Um, And so, yeah. So Faith, if you want to talk about, tell us, you know, what is that? What are those statistics do for you? What do you think? Talk about your experience. Man, it's like a mouthful. Um, first, it kind of makes you feel like a type of way about uh, mass incarceration and um, locking our good black men up. Um, and then <laughs> um, I have to say, like, I mean, this is just as a black woman, the playing field is different when it comes to um relationships like most black women I know are like I want a black man like um they really would like to marry somebody um within their race and then most black men I know are much like Catherine mentioned like I'm open to whomever and or very adamantly against being with a black woman at all and so I feel like as a black woman there's just so many stereotypes that you're working against and like combating and so when it comes to dating, it's just much more complicated and a lot more nuanced than I think people really understand that it is. And so, um, it's definitely been interesting as a black woman, especially when you're navigating predominantly white spaces, um, to see how people perceive you, how men perceive you and, um, and what that looks like. I'll just say that it's, um, it's been an adventure and I've had some interesting encounters, um, in that department. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know about you, like your personal experience, but I have actually dated outside of my race It never really very seriously. And I think it was not, um, I think it was just like the lack of compatibility, like long-term in terms of partnership and like goals and ideals and like where we were going in life. Um, but I think it's like really, interesting to think about um the ways in which like race colors our dating habits and i think one of the things i think one of the reasons why um beyond just like loyalty i think for me personally why you know i like would love to have a black husband is there just like some shorthand sort of like everyday experiences that don't have to there's not any extra explanation required and i mm-hmm. i guess like personally for me like i'm a firm believer in that marriage is a miracle like you know, bringing your life together with someone and creating this partnership and like raising a family, like, and not, and like every day having to die to yourself and your own desires. Like, I really believe that that that's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. But I also know that like, you know, so there are just some regular things about being married and like merging two families and like having two different ways of making spaghetti and like all those kind of like small things. It just feels like sometimes when I think about interracial dating, like it adds another thing. Not that it can't be overcome, but I think that is where the sort of fear and trepidation because it's like, okay, here's another thing. And also, you know, the other thing is like to the extent that maybe you are cool and like down with the cause and like or you know quote-unquote woke then i let's think about your extended family and like you know i don't know that'll take me out right there so i'm like so yeah so it's like so it definitely is a challenge and i think um it can be very discouraging um and so that's part of the reason why i wanted to host have this conversation um so kind of along with dating and christian spaces the big thing that comes 
always to mind is um, sort of the things that you're taught um, from a very young age regarding like dating and sex and marriage. Um, the sort of shorthand for that has become this idea of purity culture. Um, and so, Faith, do you want to talk about some of the things that you learned growing up, some of the ideas that formed in your mind about dating and marriage and sex and all of those things as a young girl as related to purity culture? And then um, what what have been some good things and what have been some bad things from maybe those lessons? I think like my parents, I think I'll break this up because I want to say like how my parents taught me and then the church because I think both have like formed what I learned about dating and relationships. So my parents taught me obviously about sex. I I learned from them. I didn't learn from friends or anything like that really. Um, And they just pretty much just said that it's important for you to wait, have sex until you get married. It's special. It's beautiful, you know, in in the confines of marriage. And and that was their encouragement to us. Um, And then as I got older in church, it was one of those things where it was like, um, hey, so we're going to have this talk. We're going to talk about, um, you know, we're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about relationships and those relationship series that they do at at youth group. And then they would have somebody come up there and talk about, hey, let's just take this flower, pass it down. Everybody take a petal off of it. And if you're just having sex and you're sleeping around, um, you see that at the end of the row, there's no petals on this flower once it gets all the way down to the end. And so when you have sex with this person, this person, and this person, then you have like nothing to offer when you get to the altar. And so that's when I started like getting these really like shame based messages about sex or if you have sex or have any thoughts or desires or like feel like anything, it was just like, this is bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. But I think when I got a little bit older, I started to wonder like, how is this helping? Because one day if I get married, like I'm supposed to turn all of these things that are so bad into something so good and beautiful in my head. And I'm having a really hard time reconciling doing that when I'm training myself to like, no, 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 this is bad. This is bad. It'll be good one day, but it's bad now. And so I think I would say that was like a harm because it's caused me to have to, you know, research and understand what it means to be healthy, um, you know, mentally, like to have a healthy view of sex. Um, and, and I have to do so many more mental hoops because I was thinking so much, oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. You know, um, Um, it's good, but it's bad. You know what I mean? Like that sounds so confusing, but that's how it was, you know, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I think so like for my, like we did not, I did not learn about it either from public school. I think like your parents can sign a waiver that's like when they talk about sex ed in school, like not to, to participate. And I'm, I'm fairly positive. My mom signed that waiver. Um, and so, you know, but I did learn about sex from my parents. My mom and I, she took me to a class, um, that was taught by a nurse at our local, um, hospital. And then she and I had conversations afterwards. Um, and I agree. Um, I think when it came to like youth group, it definitely was the sort of, I don't know if we did the flower thing, but it definitely was like, um, all of your worth and all of your value is tied into being able to, you know, have this idea of like, you know, if you, if you have sex before you're married, you're basically then valueless, both in the side of your husband and in the sight of God. And I just think that's so damaging. Um, and I think, you know, I do think, um, you know, the idea, like 
was coming from a good place that sex is very serious that like when you intertwine yourself physically with someone there's also spiritual and soul ties and like it just makes things more complicated and I wish that we could have talked more about those kinds of messages instead of just oh you know the sort of what you said like it's very shame-based and then also too I don't know about your experience I felt like a lot of the onus was put on the girls like girls boys cannot control themselves they are very visual so don't wear this don't say this don't be in this position don't be in that position um because otherwise men once they get started they can't turn it off so like don't you know go (laughs) you know like don't go anywhere late at night with the guys or like don't like go to the movies like even just like little things like you know like don't go to the movies with boys at night like go during the day but then it's like it's dark in a movie theater oh yeah everything so and so I just so and then you know like that gets into this whole other thing about like I think why oftentimes women if you've ever been sexually assaulted like you're especially and especially in the church I think it's very common if that happens for you to for both for the community to say well she's fast or or blame um the woman in some way and i just feel like that's so damaging i think you know scripture teaches us we are mutually responsible for one another and obviously like i don't want to be putting out traps for people but i also it's not my responsibility like if you know you struggle with lust close your eyes like (laughs) Like, that's like something for you it's not my responsibility to care for your like you know, your issues with lust or your struggles. It, and I, and I, but I think for me, like, I feel like responsible, like for myself and like, you know, my own views of modesty. And like, I do view you as a brother in Christ. And so I don't want to unnecessarily, but at the end of the day, it's just like so much like policing and shaming women. I just wish we could have a more balanced and nuanced conversation about like, what does it look like mutually to be modest? What does it look like mutually to care about purity? Like men, like men, why is it valuable for you to maintain virginity until marriage? Like for people who are sitting this, I mean, like when you're saying these things, you don't know who's in the audience. And I have this story this girl told me um, about hearing this message where essentially the youth pastor was like, nothing good comes from sin and sex before marriage is a sin. Well, she knew for a fact that her parents had conceived her before they were married. And for years, she struggled with the idea that she was not good because she was a product of premarital sex. And I just think that like we have to be intentional and careful and there's a way to teach truth, but also wrapped in love and grace. And I just think we've been in our rush to simplify and make it really simple. We've been careless. And I wish that we could recover some of that in a way that um, is uplifting to the body, but also not shame based. Yeah. And I think like the other thing is, it's basically taught like men can't help themselves and you already knew in youth group that they were you know the likelihood that a guy was going to be a virgin was really slim because he would have done it already um and that you were just supposed to be you know you need to be the one that's like you know has it together and that's unhealthy to me um to not cause men to have accountability as well but for it all to be on women like you have to hold all of this together and it's on you um and just like you're saying with that girl like oh my gosh well I was conceived before my parents were married I mean 
that messaging can be so damaging. I mean, my mom was conceived before her parents were married. Like, I mean, there's so many people where that's the case. Does that mean that their life is meaningless? Does that mean that their life is purposeless? That they're um, not needed, wanted, that they're just, they're sinful and terrible? You know what I mean? Like, I just think that that's like, so it's, it's a rabbit trail that yeah. no one really should be on. Because if you're here, you're living and you're breathing, there's a purpose for you being here. And, um, and that's regardless of, of what the circumstances were leading up to, um, you being born. And I think also too, like this ties into a couple of other things, just I'll touch on really briefly. I mean, I think all of these conversations, you know, starting from a place of that we are all created in the image of God in the Imago Dei and like just inherently, like you said, we have dignity and value as children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I think also, too, just like we, most Christians have a really poor theology of the body and what does mm-hmm. it mean to be embodied? Like Jesus came in human form. So that matters. Um, and I think that that sort of recovering this idea of like understanding what it, the Imago Day in each other um, and viewing for men, learning to you know, even if in your flesh nature you only see women as sex objects, you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. So, like, do better. You need to get some. You need to fix it. You, you need to get just, it together. Do, do better. Um, so, you know, and then, yeah, I think, and this has so many implications for women um, in the church and their value. And so, yeah, I think this is, like, a really important conversation. Um, it is. Okay, so to lighten it up a little bit, let's talk about adventures in dating and like how we've taken the good and the bad of what we've learned as children into our adult dating lives as women in our 20s and 30s. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I will preface this. I really took a lot of these messages to heart. And so I was a late bloomer, I want to say, in like every way. Anything I experienced with dating, with relationships, most of all of that was in my early 20s. I hadn't kissed anybody until I was like 22. I had like my first boyfriend when I was 20. Like, so I feel like I learned a lot in my 20s about like what I wanted. And I also realized that I idolized marriage, right? So my 20s has been a deconstruction of idolizing marriage and a life that I thought that that was going to, that makes me a woman, right? That makes me like, I'm going to be completely like the whole me or of the whole version of myself when I have that person. And so um, the young me had to deconstruct that and realize my value and who I am now. So I say all that to say I've had some funny adventures along the way um, in learning all of this. So I'm prefacing it because it's going to give you some context for like, you know, all of the, these adventures. So I'm just going to say the different kind of guys I've dated because the stories are, can be lengthy, but you know, I've dated a guy who was a former convict. I'm a tow truck guy. We went on one date. Um, and then we were supposed to go on another one, but he ghosted me. And then I, um, for a little while, I had a boyfriend. He was a um, aspiring PhD professor from Austin, but he was a hoarder. Um, terrible, um, terrible, um, <laughs> terrible. When you see the signs, I'm telling you, this is crucial. Okay, when you see the signs, you must follow them. Okay, you must know what you see and accept it. Okay, because when I would come over and it'd be like, I'm cleaning my house. All right. And we'd watch a movie and it was still hoarding things. Yes, just don't, don't, 
don't be like me. I really would believe that truly maybe it could get better. Um, there was a few white guys along the way that I did um, go on some dates with. Very interesting encounters. Um, obviously, it nothing happened. Um, we're not together. Um, there was the guy that got saved on our first date. Um, what? We Faith, you're a missionary dater. <laughs> um, he was Catholic. But he didn't like, but he, you know, was kind of like, I don't know, he wasn't like a um, really a practicing Catholic. And so um, he came to church and just was like, I love this, you know. But I have some friends who are a wonderful, faithful, practicing Catholics, and it's great. Um, but he just, um, yeah, came and he felt compelled. So praise God, man. Um, and then there was this one guy who is, uh, he really is a wonderful, great human. Um, but he was married to his cousin for citizenship. What? So <laughs> he was in the country and he was here and his it's very complicated y'all very very complicated anyways he was desperate to stay here and not get deported anyways so that happened and i was like okay well this is it's been nice two or three dates in and that was that um so all that to say um it's been very interesting <laughs> and it's been interesting that's all i can really say it's been different Guys, I don't have anything as wild as that. Like, I feel like on the whole, I have dated very nice, normal guys. It, and even the ones that I was like, oh, not compatible. I mean, my, like, funniest dating story is I had a guy cry on the first date. Um, and it was he was telling a sad story in his defense. Um, but I am not like that. I do not wear my emotions on my sleeve. And so, and also, too, this was in my early 20s when I really just didn't know how to handle other people's public displays of emotions because that's just not how I'm naturally wired. And so we're like sitting in chilies and he's crying and I am just like frozen. And the waiter comes and is like, can I help? And I'm like, I don't know, please help me. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And it was just, he was telling a sad story and he, you know, now in my 30s, like, I understand and I would totally handle that situation differently. But as a young 20-year-old, I was just like, I don't know what to do right now. And I don't know how to help you. And we're in Chili's. And I'm just wanting to have queso and, like, talk about our favorite movies. Even <laughs> no, it was movies. like a first date. Like, <laughs> like you know, we got to ease in. Um, but I think it's, like, so funny because I think one of the things, like, I, like, really internalized from, like, a young age and like what I was taught about what it means to be a woman. I think, yeah, I did idealizing marriage, but then also too, as a black woman with a strong personality, kind of feeling like, okay, I can't get married because I have opinions and I, and I can't sit quietly and let you drive the wrong way or, you know, do something wrong, I have to say something. And then just like constantly hearing the message of like the wife's role is to be submissive and to support her husband in whatever she does. And so then it's like, okay, but that's not my natural personality and feeling like, um, like that's why I'm not getting married is because I'm too outspoken. And what really helped is like, there's a group of girls that I went to law school with, all of which are extremely outspoken and have 
been married or all ha- are married and have found men that like love that. Like that's the thing they would say like about their wife. Like I love that she challenges me and whatever. Um, and I feel like it was so encouraging to me and like having talked about it, like they're like, oh no, you definitely like learned to like humble yourself, you know, like, you know, not every problem in our marriage is his fault. But I think it just was really, um, helpful to me in realizing like, okay, I'm not married just because I haven't met the right guy yet. Not because there's something inherently wrong with me. Um, because I don't subscribe to like, let me just sit and be sweet and demure and like, um, not (laughs) voice opinions about things. I mean, obviously nobody wants to be a nag or, you know, and obviously I'm wrong. I have my faults and flaws, but it just the sort of I think that idea that a good Christian woman or a good Christian wife is sort of the 1950s Pleasantville version of a woman um, makes it feel like, okay, there's some inherent defect in me if I don't fit that mold. And I just want to say that that is not true. That is a lie from Satan, that God, it was intentional in how he created me and how he created you. And if you don't fit that mold, that has nothing to do with why you don't have a husband. Yeah. That's so good. And I just want to say, like, everybody's journey and their dating journey is different. Like, I have dated a myriad of different kind of people. And as you all heard, um, <laughs> but a lot of those guys, <laughs> I know it's so terrible. I feel like you just look at that. I feel like that was a Hulu series. Um, like, I'm telling a TV you, show. my dating stories, I could talk about them for days. These are really great human beings. I mean, these guys are so nice. They are so nice they're nice people and i have even more i can say about several other different dates i did not mention but um while they're amazing humans they just weren't for me and i have transformed in the sense of you know sometimes i would be like oh i could maybe work with that or maybe we could help them or maybe we could whatever like you know like you know i've I've come away from that that's all i'm saying but But what I did want to say is that what you're talking about is being who you are and that being important is huge. Like walking in just who God has made you to be. I'm not docile either. I'm more of the personality that's just like, let's get it done. Let's whatever, whatever. I don't, I don't have that. I don't know. Idealistic, if you want to say that word, personality person that people talk about. Um, And I am outspoken and I say my mind. So we are just like you said, Catherine, like we haven't met that person yet. And that's okay. I'm cool with that. Okay. This is my turn for a question to ask you. Tell me, this is very important because people, people need to hear this answer. What would be helpful for the church? The church, I want y'all to listen. The church and ministering to single black women. Yeah, so I think my big like thing with this is that being single does not make you a JV Christian. Um, I think Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, it is good for the unmarried to remain single. So in Paul's conception and his understanding um, that singleness actually is sort of like an elevated status and calling. And I think oftentimes in the church, we don't, it, the church does not reflect that truth. Where marriage and family are idolized, every sermon illustration is about something about your married life and your family life. Um, when you talk about relationships, when you do your relationship series, do you talk about singleness and dating? Um, I think we have created an idol out of being married and a family. And I think one thing I think that's really um 
what is useful and I think would be helpful for the church is to kind of maybe adopt sort of the African-American conception of family. Like growing up, I knew that I had uncles and aunts and cousins that were not actually related to me, but were a part of our family. So every family, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, you know, they were getting invited and they were coming along. And so I think even for Christians, like you see that too in scripture where Jesus says to his mom, you know, like, um, the people that follow me are my brothers and sisters. This is my mother. This is my father. And so this idea that the Christian conception of family is much bigger than the nuclear family and sort of, you know, so encouraging you to ask your African-American friends about aunties and play cousins. And like, how can we bring that idea to the church of like, yeah, like the family is bigger and will come in bigger and different forms than just, you know, People like the conceptual nuclear family. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that that's super important and that people need to hear that because when you're in church, it's kind of like you're treated like you're at the kids' table until you're yes. married um, and you have kids. So, like, perpetually. Like, oh, like we're, you know, like, and you're considered the babysitter. Well, you're single. Oh, you you can, yeah. Leave, oh, that's right? my favorite thing. Like, you're not busy. Like, of course you can take mm. on all this added responsibility. I'm like, uh, I still have to sleep. I still have to eat. I still have to work. <laughs> like, of course you can serve in children's church. You don't have any kids. Don't you want to do it? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Like what? Um, I think some of those things are like just a little bit problematic. And so um, I would, I would just encourage people to view the single people in your church as like whole people and also to um to really like acknowledge the humanity of people and invite your single friends over and be friends with single people and um don't be so standoffish like some of my greatest friendships are with my married friends like and my friends who we were grew up single together and they got married and I'm still single and we're still friends you know what I mean like I think that that's still really healthy um and it's and I don't like that how sometimes you're kind of like blackballed or put in a corner or inviting you to different things is like an afterthought simply because you're single and that happens all the time in the church and it's so problematic yeah, no, I agree. Um, and so, like, as we're sort of closing down this conversation, what would you say to encourage other women who are single and don't want to be, that want to be married um, or, want you know, want to be dating? You know, if you could share, like, just a word of encouragement, what would you say? Well, my encouragement is to live your life. And if you want to date, date. There's apps. There's all kinds of ways you can meet people and try to meet new people. Obviously, I have hilarious stories because um, I meet people. Um, I try online dating. It, it, it's very interesting encounters. <laughs> um, I have had several friends who've had great success, um, which has been wonderful. Um, but just live your life. Like, don't wait for somebody special that you feel like has to come into your life before you start living out your dreams. Like, if you want to travel, travel if you want to buy a house buy a house like whatever it is that you feel like you want to do in your life and in your career or start a business write a book whatever it is do it you don't have to feel like you have to wait for one specific person or one high point or moment in your life to do something special and to do something that you really need to do and so um I think the one thing that I've realized is I'm a whole woman now um and I get to experience life and the goodness and the fullness of it right now and um I don't regret traveling as much as I have and 
seeing the world and doing any of that for one second because God is still good. He loves me. He knows what I need. And, um, this in this area of singleness it's like a daily laying down and resting and trusting his plan of course that means i'm human okay so i question i i cry sometimes i'm like oh my god i'm so single why like i have those moments because i'm a normal person but at the same time like i'm also really happy in my life like i have a lot of joy and i'm grateful um for where i am and i'm also really honest with my friends and my family around them like they have been tasked to not just pray for me that I find a person, but faith of that works is dead. You need to set me up, okay? If you if you want to see me with somebody, put action to those prayers, okay? So that's what everyone's been commissioned with. And if your faith does not have action, I don't want to hear about it. That's all I've that's all I've said. Yeah, I would say I would affirm all those things that you said. And I would say the thing about like living your life and doing the things God has called you to do, if God has called you to buy a house, he's not then going to use that as a limitation to keep you from getting a husband. Exactly. So I think this idea, like also for us as single people recovering this idea that God is not trying to sabotage us, trying to put rocks in our shoes. I had a mentor tell me that in college and it just totally changed my life. So it's like, if God is calling you to travel, if God is calling you to a greater career or another degree, and then, you know, men are not attracted to you for that reason, they're intimidated by you, that is not the man for you because God would not then call you to something then to like use that as a reason to like pull something back from you, you know? And so I think, yeah, so to what Faith said about like living your life and knowing that like do all the things God has called you to do. Do not be afraid because I think if you are, yeah, called to be married, like the right man for you is not going to be intimidated by those things. And and the men that are, are intimidated by those things are not worthy and stop wasting your time. He's not that into you and it's okay because you don't really want him either, anyway. <laughs> like he's like, true. You, that, those aren't the men you want. I mean, it, trust me we you know we've all had a mr right now situation in in the long run don't waste your time um and i also would echo the setting up your friends um friends that have expressed set up your friends Um, and then i will say to my white sisters set up your friends but not because they're both black please pay attention to their actual interests and callings and not just white friends like i think i see this all the time where it's like oh you're korean he's korean y'all should get married and it's like we have nothing in common i feel called to the mission field he wants to be in business you know and it's just like guys you know pay pay attention pay like we want that help we're grateful for that help but like pay attention to us as individuals beyond our skin color or, or ethnicity um and so, yeah, well, thank you guys so much for joining us for today's conversation about singleness and dating. I will say happy Valentine's Day. Um, you are loved by God. You are loved by your friends and your family. And even if you do not have a special someone in your life, I just pray that you would feel the fullness of God's love. It talks about it in Ephesians that you would know the depth and the height of God's love for you. So you can celebrate that on Valentine's Day this year. Okay, y'all. So it is time for Go Off Sis, which as you all know, this is a time where we tell you about something we are loving right now and something that is a mess. So Catherine, I'm going to let you start off and talk about um, what is something that you're loving right now and what's something that's a mess for you? Yeah, something that I'm loving is this past weekend, Parasite winning Best Picture 
best director, best international film, best original screenplay makes me so happy. If you have not seen Parasite, it's a dark comedy, a little bit of a thriller. I'm a nervous Nelly, and there are some like scary moments, but not enough not to see this incredible film. Um, it's about economic. Cl- it's set in Monaday. South Korea, but it's about economic class, um, sort of capitalism and how it affects all of our lives and how there are no winners or losers. Um, it's such insightful social commentary. Um, I saw it a few months ago and I still think about it. So I'm thrilled that it won all these awards. And how cute was the cast? Um, you were so cute. When they were called and they were like passing the Oscar around and they were so shocked they couldn't believe it. And I think that these kinds of things are important um, because, you know, film, movies, TV shows capture our imagination and I think when we value the stories of people not like us, it says like these stories it helps us live out that this is valuable and these are things worth telling. Um, and so I, I'm so happy for all my Korean American friends and watching them celebrate Sunday night was also really awesome and so great to like celebrate that moment with them. So my thing that is a mess is also related to the Oscars. A couple things. So making jokes about how there's not diversity while there's not diversity in the uh, award nominees ain't it, people. That's not cute. Like, <laughs> like we're not interested in that. You can keep the jokes. Next time, nominate Lupita. (laughs) Next time, nominate (laughs) J-Lo. Next time, actually nominate the actors and actresses in the film that wins Best Picture and Best Director. Because otherwise, apparently, the movie was directing itself and acting itself out. But that's neither here nor there. That is my mess. Motion Picture Academy, I'm calling on you to actually address the diversity problem instead of making awkward and honestly inappropriate jokes about the diversity problem. That is so real. And I just want to say, two years, so I have not seen Parasite. I want to see it um, because I've been seeing so many, like, so much buzz over the last few months about the film. Um, but I loved that everyone was passing the award around. And I'm telling you, like, that to me was just, like, such a sign of, like, community and just, like, the shared collectiveness of, like, we did this together. And also, like, seeing my Asian American friends just so excited, like, um, it just, I don't know. It just was so cool because, you know, as black people, we can see our wins and we get excited about it. And But I know, like, for many of my Asian brothers and sisters, like, that was such a big deal because you don't see that a lot at all in American yeah. culture. And so um, that was such a big win. And I'm so happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, loved that they spoke in Korean. Yes. I love um, Bong Joon-ho, the director of Parasite. Um, when he spoke, he gave a shout out. It was so cool because you got to see a little bit of, like, Korean culture on display like he honored Martin Scorsese and the other directors and it's like so many times people win these awards and they're like yeah they don't you know like so not interested in celebrating the collaborations of other people but the fact that he took time out to like say like Martin Scorsese you said this once and it was really impactful to me as a director um and then when they won best picture um them celebrating their director and saying we love this about him and we love that about him and yeah like just sort of the community of like yeah we did this together so it was really awesome it was a great night i was pleasantly surprised because oftentimes let us not forget the green book debacle of 2019 terrible terrible (laughs) yes okay it's my turn and guys this like i feel like Catherine's go off this was like so thoughtful and meaningful and mine is like (laughs) It's just, it's just where I'm at right now. Okay. So right now I'm actually recording this from, um, a hotel closet 
on the road for work. And I have to tell you that I what I've been loving, and I've gotten many people hooked on this show because I love me a little reality show. I've been loving 90 Day Fiance. I'm watching season six. Also, there is season seven, but I kind of, you know, thanks to Delta, um, it got me started on season six. And so I've been watching 90 Day Fiance season six of the um, show. And I can already tell you, I feel like half of them are going to break up, like, or maybe like most all of them, except maybe one. Um, now, why do I find this show so interesting? I think it's just the fact that all these people met somebody in a foreign country and they tend to act like it's going to be way easier to come together than it is. And they actually know nothing about each other truly. And so I think it's just funny to me watching it all come together and happen. And I know none of it's truly real, but... Anyways, it's super entertaining to me. So that's my um, something I'm loving right now because it's keeping me entertained um, and my mind off of work. Can we just say this about 90 Day Fiance? If you want to see how desperation and and discontent and singleness can lead you down a wrong path, <laughs> 90 Day Fiance, sometimes I'm just like, wow. Really? Like, I'm like, that I'm like, I want a person, but it ain't that bad, okay? Because, because what they end up going through, not- I'm like, that would ruin my life deep. like i would be so upset like i'm so happy with my life yeah, right now yeah so you know if you want some just a reminder when you're feeling in your weaker moments 90 day fiance is a good yeah reminder some of, some of are, the couples yeah, some of the couples some are genuinely are. in love and have real affection and good. get married and are very happy for a long term majority of them a are not a lot of them majority are not break up. <laughs> But that's it's okay. Um, okay, so something that is a mess, a mess right now is um, okay. So I think it was a few days ago I was traveling. So a few days ago, a neo-Nazi group um, they held this rally march in Washington a few days ago. So I do not know if you guys have watched Watchmen, okay? But these dudes had on. The little masks, very, very, very similar to what they look like on Watchmen. And I was having this deja vu moment, seeing the picture and seeing them march on Washington. And I was like, this is so crazy. This is crazy. Anyways, if you watch the show, you know what I mean. And any of my friends that I've shown the picture to that have watched Watchmen are like, this is nuts. So... All that to say, it's unfortunate racism is still alive and well. And if you are not paying attention, and this did not get really national news coverage, so you have to look for it. Um, But if you aren't paying attention, you probably missed it. So this is problematic. You guys pay attention to white supremacy. It's not ramping down, it's ramping up. It's not a thing of the past. Yeah, white nationalism, it's not a thing of the past. And I think one good thing related to that, Faith, is the director of the FBI has elevated um, the threat level of white nationalism to our country. And so um, I don't know what this means in practical terms, but at least, you know, there is one law enforcement agency that recognizes the problem and that sees it as domestic terrorism and is hopefully going to take active steps to doing something about do it. something about these Nazis. Jesus, help us. Okay, so that. Fix it, Jesus. Fix it. Fix it. Lord. And fix the Oscars. Okay, so this is our go off sis segment. Okay, we want to know what you are going off about right now. Whether it's like big or small, silly, whatever it is. We want to hear about it. Hit us up on Instagram. We want to talk to you. Um, Y'all, thanks for rocking with this. Like, this has been... Yes. 
We love you. See you next week. <laughs>